I was super excited. Uh, I reached out to uh, to Derek Van Orden on on Facebook, and as you all know, we've had uh, we have had Kyle uh, Woodman on the show. We've had Jonathan Wickman on the show. Of course, we've had Kyle Eudes on the show. And so I, I like I nudged Derek Van Orden a couple of times. I'm like, hey, I'd love to have you on the show. I love you know all the things you're doing. You're out and about. You're you're making things happen. You're a man of action. And obviously, the Navy SEAL thing. You know my my gratitude towards our servicemen and women. So that was a huge thing. And I was so excited that he reached back out and set me up with Mary Pat, and then we kind of got it all figured out and arranged uh, to get him on the show. Because I'm I'm just I'm super excited to have this man on the program. Derek Van Orden is here. Thank you, sir. First and foremost, for your service, and secondly, for being on the program today. You're absolutely welcome, and uh, don't ever serve me again. My <laughs> name is Derek, and I'm a retired uh, senior enlisted SEAL. Fair enough. I will I will remove that <laughs> from my vernacular for the remainder uh, of the day. But uh, thank you. So great to talk to you. And uh, if if yeah, people man. that are watching that are not following uh, Derek on on social media on Facebook, especially, I know you got a lot of great content that you put out there. Super active and getting out. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take you way back. We're gonna do the old origin story uh, with you because sure. uh, I was listening to a couple of podcasts that you've been on and just uh, was just fascinated by uh, the trajectory that your life took on um, from from very young age, from your relationship with your mom, which is super fantastic. I, I love some of the comments you've made about her. And then up, uh, we'll get up to the point where you were about to be a Marine and then the next day happened and, and life changed. So, cause you're, you're from, you're from the Midwest. Was it Wisconsin or Minnesota? Your, uh, your, your home state. I was, I was born in Minnesota mm-hmm. and, uh, in Minneapolis. And then my folks were divorced really before I knew they were married. I was mm-hmm. that young. My father, quite frankly, was not an honorable man. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was raised with my brother by my mom uh, in abject rural poverty. We moved in with my grandma for a while. And, uh, you know, that's just the way things are sometimes. And it's unfortunate. But uh, I learned a lot of things from my mom. Uh, uh-huh. Unfortunately, she died about six years ago. Her name's Carol Ann Mulligan. Um, her married name is Van Orden, mine. Mm-hmm. clearly but she's you know the joke is she's five foot nothing and harder than woodpecker lips because she was <laughs> and she 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 was so dedicated to making sure that she could provide for us mm. and i'm eternally thankful for that um but yeah so uh that, we moved down to southwestern minnesota and then uh she was one of the first female sports reporters in the in the nation Wow. which I think is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, she was just so dynamic, but uh, then she got a job with an insurance company called INA, which became Cigna insurance. Mm. And then we moved to Wisconsin to Southeastern Wisconsin, Heartland, just came to town. And, um, you know, that's where I consider to be my home. Mm. Um, and then she got promoted and we moved out to Oregon uh, where she wound up managing the West Coast for signature. Fantastic. She had a, a name plate on her desk. Where's my camera right there? Um, <laughs> it said Warden Van Orden. <laughs> I mean, she was. That's. Yeah, she, she was the businessman, and uh, so. Uh, yeah, we wound up in in Oregon, and that's where. Uh, gosh, you know, I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old. Wow. Because I knew everything <laughs> I've had at all. If you, if no one laughs at that, they don't have a 16 year old. So, you know, I, I did, I was just a, you know, a young 
frankly, you know, objectively looking at myself as a young man, I was just a foolish young man, you mm. know, full of hubris and all that stuff. Didn't have any humility, which is terrible. But uh, yeah, so I, I kind of kicked around and I've been supporting myself since I was 16. Wow. Uh, got jobs and stuff. And then it, uh, I went out with some buddies of mine. I, I still had this core group of friends from, you know, that period of time when I was in high school, uh, which I think says a lot about their poor judgment. Frankly. <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, we went out one night and I was with a, a friend of mine named Kurt and all of a sudden we decided to be Marines. We're like, let's be Marines. Ah, we're going to join the Marine Corps. And we're like the best Marines ever for about six hours. And I woke up <laughs> in the morning and I'm like, Hey dude, I do not want to be a Marine. And he was like, I don't either. You know, that seems really hard. Mm. And I said, let's join the Navy. And he goes, okay. So I, I mean, that's how I got the Navy. I drove over and picked him up and we went to the Navy recruiting office and joined the Navy <laughs> that day. <laughs> Didn't know anything about SEALs, didn't know anything about anything, you know? And uh, I got a job. I was offered three career options. Mm -hmm. um, steamman apprenticeship, fireman apprenticeship, and airman apprenticeship. Mm -hmm. And those are all essentially just menial labor jobs. And I went back into my, my enlistment contract. I have a copy of it, you know? And I just signed up for the Navy no guarantee that's that's a three-week school mm. of like how to to like scrape paint and how to paint <laughs> i'm not joking i mean that was that's it crazy. Like, this is how you get paint off of a piece of metal and put more paint on it and it's not happening it's a ship you know but um yeah so i no guarantee of a school no guarantee of a coast no guarantee of a ship, no guarantee. I'm nothing. I just like, I'm in the Navy. And I know <laughs> after I sign that stuff, the recruiter just going to be like, oh my gosh, uh, we got Van Orden. You know, I don't know any better. But so, what was terribly interesting, and I'll share this with you, is that, um, you know, for two years, I worked on a tugboat and with some people, just wonderful Americans, you know, mm. wanting to serve their country. I was very proud to be with them. But I did straight up menial labor. I cleaned, I don't know, 400,000 toilets and painted miles and miles of, you know, ship if you, if you added it all up, barges and this tugboat and everything. And what I learned in that period of time was the humility I didn't have as a younger man. And the the learning of that humility was the reason that I was able to graduate from SEAL training. So I, I, you know, I, I had a friend, his name was Pat. I still have a friend named Pat, the same guy, you know, mm. who was a corpsman. He worked at the clinic on base and uh, he was always happy. I mean, like super happy. And I had this, you know, my hands used this. This is before like gloves, you know, like <laughs> things like that, safety equipment. Um, so I'd have this primer 150. It's an epoxy-based uh, primer, marine primer on my hands to the point where you just can't wash it off anymore, you know? Right. And he was always clean and happy. And I was always, you know, covered in paint and, you know, mildly disgruntled. <laughs> so uh, I was like, I'm going to go be a corpsman. And I went and I started working off um, at the clinic in my off time. And I had a knack for it for medicine for some reason or other. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, I struck, it's called striking for a rate, which means you're applying for a job essentially. Mm. And after a couple of years, I was selected to go to core school, hospital corpsman school. It's a medic for army guys. 
Uh, and that's where I found out about the SEAL teams. This guy named Randy Dunn came walking in. He's a, a chief at SEAL Team 5. And his whole motivational speech. So just to put this in context, right now there's the Navy spends millions of dollars on recruiters and motivators. Mm-hmm. They're all around the country. They go to high schools. They go to colleges. They help people with workouts. Um, you know, they actively seek out these applicants for SEAL training. And then they help them get into training. And then they help them get through training, right? Well, back then, this is 1991, they didn't care. <laughs> like at all they're like you want to be a seal grammar so randy comes walking in to my high school or excuse me my core school class and he he's like like perfect physical specimen mm-hmm. you know what i mean and he comes in he puts his hand on his hips and he goes my name is chief randy done from seal team five if you want to be a seal come talk to me if you don't beep you you're probably <laughs> going to quit anyway and then he turned around and he left that was his entire motivational speech and i was like the best one i ever heard in my life and i was like you know what i'm going with i'm going with that guy Hmm. that's where i'm going to go because that dude knows what he's doing that 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 person knew who he was what he's capable of doing um you know why he's doing something he had a a very distinct purposeful um presence you know and i didn't have that growing up i just didn't so I decided to go, you know, to become a SEAL. And so I'm talking to these guys in my class, and it turns out some of them had joined the Navy to be SEALs. I'm like, well, I'm going to go do that. And they're like, well, you can't just say you're going to go do that. I go, uh, well, yeah, I can, because I just said I'm going to go do that. You know? <laughs> and I'm totally out of shape. And I smoked at the time, Oof. you know, because it's a big thing. And, you know, the regular fleet Navy at that time in the 90s, and he smoked cigarettes. And they're like, you, you, sir, are a train wreck. <laughs> you are not compatible. Because <laughs> I didn't even know what it was, you know? What does SEALs do? But um, so I'm like, no, I'm going to go do that. They're like, okay, whatever, pal. So I went and um, you had to take this class. Am I boring right now? No, I'm, I'm, I'm so awesome. fascinated right okay. now. I'm just like, okay, so this is, this is the origin story. Okay, check it out. So um, you had to do this, this screening test in order to get to go to buds. Mm-hmm. And at that time you had three chances to take a screening test. If you didn't pass it in those three chances, they don't ever want to see you again. Like get out. Now mm-hmm. it's completely different, you know, agree or disagree or whatever. It's just different now where mm-hmm. they really shepherd you through this and they give you no feedback at all. It's like push up, sit ups, dips, or did you do dips? I can't remember. And then uh, run, swim, 500 meter run. He had to wear boondockers, which are these weird Navy boots. Uh, in pants and then you had to swim like 500 meters or whatever the time was i can't remember anyway so i could do everything but the swim i grew up swimming mm-hmm. but i never did a formal stroke and you had to do a side stroke or a breaststroke They're, those are called underwater recovery strokes and that's for when you're you go back into UD underwater demolition team times and naval combat demolition uh guys back in world war ii and, and through korea and everything they would swim in these things uh charges and stuff to blow up beach obstacles and whatever mm-hmm. and you you'd want to swim under keep your arms under the water so you can splash mm-hmm. that's why it's called underwater recovery yeah. stroke but um, so anyway i'm like yeah didn't know how to do it i failed this test twice just the swimming part and i am po'd dude because mm-hmm. now it's personal and we transferred barracks from naval station naval hospital balboa they're like renovating them so we moved to 32nd street which is another naval base in San Diego. nine-year-old kid in the pool doing side stroke hmm. and you know i'm trying to teach myself this 
and I see this guy. He's clearly doing this at circle, nine year old. And I was like, hey man, can you show me how to do that? And he's like, yeah, of course. Hmm. Um, grab an apple, pull the apple down. You can't really see because the camera's better. Pull the apple down and then grab it with your other hand, throw the apple away, grab another apple, pull it down, throw it away. Guess what? That's the side stroke. And he's like, keep kicking the whole time. Like Roger Dodger. All right, the only reason that I was able to ask a nine-year-old how to swim, trying to be this, you know, and I was ripped, dude. I mean, I was like Olympic shape. But I was able to ask a nine-year-old to teach me how to swim because I cleaned toilets for two years Mm -hmm. and realized there's nothing beneath you ever. Right. Never. And that has carried me through. Um, It really has. I mean, that sounds like kind of a weird story, but when you realize that anybody around you at any time, you know, that's not even a generalization. Anyone around you at any time has got some knowledge that you don't, Mm -hmm. that if you're willing to humble yourself and ask, and then listen to the advice. I mean, I wrote a book about this, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to be better for it. And they're going to be better for it, too. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's that's like a real deal. And then, you know, I got into the SEAL teams. And, oh, so check this out. Here's something funny. So I get into BUDS. They're yeah. like, wow, you're in BUDS now. <laughs> and uh, like, what does that mean? This guy, well, I, I'll tell you. So I get into BUDS, like the first First day, I'm not going to say this guy's name because I'm sure he's still alive and this is terribly embarrassing, <laughs> but for him, not for me. So it's like four in the morning and you got to get all this stuff ready, you know? So the issue, they used to be green, so like the green uniform mm-hmm. you saw in Vietnam and stuff. That's what we used to wear. And then when you got into the third phase, which is the final training phase, you got camouflage uniforms. Everything in Bud you have to earn. Right. The color of your t-shirt, you know, your, all this stuff, right? But, um, so you got to take these down. There's a uh, dry cleaning place in the Imperial Beach called, uh, gosh, dry. it's, uh, oh my gosh, you guys are going to kill me. I can't remember it. I'll think of it. <laughs> anyway, it's, oh, A.B. Brights. It's called A.B. Bright. That's, those are the people that do all the uniforms of Bud students, or they used to. So they would starch these things where you could literally, not an exaggeration, you could take your pants and stand them up and they would stand by themselves. <laughs> That's all heavily, I'm not joking. That's yeah. all heavily starched they work, right? And that lasted for like eight seconds because then they threw in the ocean. But so, and you got to pay for this stuff and you know, I'd shine my boots and whatever. And so it's like four in the morning. We're standing out in this little courtyard at the 602 barracks or was it 618 was I mean, like the building number this is funny how this stuff is ingrained in you um and this guy comes up to me who is a rollback so he had completed some portions of training then he got injured and he's still there so they have you know like secret knowledge mm-hmm. and uh he comes up to me like looks at me up or down and he, he goes you're never gonna make it and i was like okay, well, what do I do now? <laughs> I just got this uniform and everything. And got up really early today. Do I leave? Uh, you know, I'm like, what? come on, man. So it turns out this guy winds up in my book group and I'm hmm. senior to him because I did a couple years in the fleet. 
So Monday, so you start on Sunday night breakout. Monday afternoon, you do these things called hygiene inspections, where they you you like strip on these bike shorts essentially, and then they look at you head to toe because bud students will not admit when they're hurt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They yeah. won't admit that they have these skin infections and all this crazy stuff because no one wants to get thrown out of training. So and and they stink. I mean, they're bad because you have to lay on the pavement. This oh my gosh, the way mm-hmm. you think of these things, you lay on the pavement. And, or if you're on the beach, you're on the beach, but you have to like spread your fingers apart and your arms and everything. So you can't touch any part of your own body because that adds warmth. And then they'll spray over you with this very fine mist hose or the solid hose. If you have your choice, get sprayed with the solid water, not the mist. It's less cold. But so they do that and you lay there for like two hours on, on cement you know, and I've got this picture that someone took. It's really cool because it shows the shadow of this barracks building and they make you move. So you stay in the shadow <laughs> and your fingers are like, here's the sun, like right there. And they make you move. And you're like, oh, oh please. You know, it's just mind boggling. <laughs> anyway, so this hygiene inspection goes on and then we go back out to the beach and then, you know, they just hammer you on the beach while you're waiting for everyone else to get done. And I'm like, where's this guy in my boat crew? Where is he? Like he's gone, dude. Quit. First hygiene inspection on Monday. The same guy that walked up to me and said, "You're never gonna make it." Mm. You know why? Dude didn't have humility. <laughs> Just didn't. Anyway, so mm. I get done with Hell Week. That's kind of a big deal. We go to the galley. That's a restaurant. Mm. It's not really, but <laughs> that's what they call it. Um, and there's a whole bunch of corpsmen in my class. They didn't. The SEAL teams were really short on corpsmen. I swear, this is the only reason they let me in there. <laughs> Because I was, I'm, and I was a corpsman, so I like, right. oh, let this guy go. But um, so there was a bunch of corpsmen. We look over there, and there's Chief Dunn in his car, parked. And so we all go over there because we're waiting in line to get in to eat. And he's sitting in his car. We walk over there, and he looks at me, and he goes, "You made it through Hell Week." <laughs> I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." I, as a matter of fact, I did. He said, oh, of course, congratulations. <laughs> I knew it all the time. He didn't. Man. So, um, yeah, then I went to the SEAL teams. I went to SEAL Team 4. Mm. And at that time, we were uh, regionally assigned. So, it was uh, South and Central America. I spent about five years working around there. Went, did my first combat deployment actually to Bosnia, mm. which, you know, they call it a combat deployment. But I swear it's it's more dangerous in Chicago. It literally is more dangerous in Chicago now than it was there. Wow. But that was you know, the only war we had at the time. And uh, it, my view on things are if you're going to do something, you should really do it. Mm. And so a, a Navy SEAL's natural environment is, is combat. That's where we belong. Uh, so I did that one, and then I finished the Army Special Forces Medical Sergeant's course, the 18 Delta program, um, which is incredibly challenging. Uh, you know, there's always the inner service rivalry, and we talk smack about each other all the time. Right. The Army Special Forces do some things remarkably well, and one of them is this 18 Delta course. It's very, very hard. Um, but... I didn't want to go finish this. I had to do six months of that thing down in San Antonio. The first part was at that, uh, in that time, it was called the 300 program. But uh, I didn't want to go because they wanted to stay in the SEAL teams, you know? So I was like, eh, I don't want to go. Army guys. Ugh. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to stick it to them. 
right? Yeah. So it's like, how am I going to do this and make them really angry? Aha, I will beat them at their own game. Mm. So I applied myself incredibly seriously academically because this is a very, very academically challenging course. Mm. And I was the distinguished undergraduate of my class. <laughs> so, so the battalion commander had to give me their excellence coin. And it was just like, maybe mm, guy. <laughs> like, gotcha. Granted, I spent 80,000 hours studying, but uh, right. yeah, so I did that. Then I transferred out to um, SEAL Team 1, did a deployment uh, out to the Pacific. And one of the you know, I still have very, very good friends from there. But during that deployment, I got a phone call from a friend of mine. And uh, Dave is his name. And he was like, hey, Brad's dead. Hmm. This was in 1999. Brad's dead. I'm like, Brad's dead. Brad Tucker. Hmm. And uh, I was like, what do you mean? And he goes, yeah, he's dead, man. He uh, went out of the helicopter in the Bahamas at you know, 120 feet going 100 knots or whatever. Mm. At that point, the water's like cement. But let me tell you about this guy. I, I, in memoriam for this dude, mm. um, he was half uh, First Nations, half American Indian, something like that. And uh, he used to babysit our kids wow. at the time. And he taught them how to sumo wrestle. This is what a punk this guy did. Never let a seal babysit your kid. <laughs> so, I mean, we came home, Sarah and I, you know, we're dirt poor, living on nothing. And here's the kid, sumo wrestling, pull on, slap with thighs, you know, bam! And it's like, what did you do, Brad? He's like, this is great. He taught me how to box. Just a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful human being. Uh, um, he just was. But, um, so what was, I mean, I, this, this is going to sound really weird, but I'm really, I'm thankful that I was able to experience the loss of a friend and a teammate mm. prior to, you know, these wars kicking off. Because mm. um, there's been a hundred and some SEALs and Naval Special Worker people killed since September 11th. And that's, we, statistically, we have borne the vast majority of casualties for the entire Navy. Hmm. Uh, and from the Department of the Navy, the Marine Corps has uh, unfortunately sustained more casualties than us. That's just because they're bigger than the SEAL teams. That's the reason. Right. But so it was very, it was for me personally, it, it really opened my eyes. I always, you know, accepted the fact mortal danger and whatever, hmm. and I get that. But to have, you know, someone that you really loved, frankly, uh, killed in the line of duty. Um, prior to having, you know, these waves of people being mm -hmm. killed, you know, extortion 17 and uh, the stuff with uh, Marcus Luttrell and those guys. And, uh, it was, you know, part of a maturation process. But so I, I am thankful for that. And I'll love that guy, you know, yeah. my deathbed. He's a father and husband and, you know, all that stuff. And then on that note, and we'll get off, it's kind of depressing. Um, September 11th happened. And uh, then I got another thing when I was at work and it was you know we sustained our first casualty in the first overt casualty the first service you know uniform service member mm -hmm. killed his name was Neil Roberts 
Um, he was at uh, Damn Nick. RPG hit the helicopter, went on the helicopter, you know, fought on the ground. My graduation picture from Buzz is the two of us standing there with our arms around each other. It's just bananas, right? But, uh, you know, those things are things that we have to remember because the debt that is owed to their families doesn't expire. It's not a mortgage. You know what I mean? Um, And we have to, we have to do that with to pay homage to these people as often as we can because they have children Mm. Um, and they need to know that you know what their fathers died for or their mothers you know there are female seals but there's plenty of women that have died in combat Mm. they got to know that that meant something so that's uh, that's something that I I don't think is not enough people say we're never going to forget they do people forget all the time I mean, a little thing that I do, and I'm going to encourage you to do this and all of your listeners, at 9-11 in the morning and 9-11 at night, which is uh, 21-11 mm-hmm. in the military folks, whenever I see that on a clock, I salute it. Mm-hmm. Every day. Bam. And I'm going to read a little thing. So if you, I just throw that out there in case it's in the morning area. You're like, why is this guy saluting her clock? Uh, that's why. <laughs> but... Yeah, man. So, uh, geez, what happened in SEAL Team 1? And then I um, went to Team 5 where I was a platoon chief. That is, uh, SEAL platoon is the basic functional unit of any SEAL team. It's uh, doctrinally, which we don't really do doctrinally. It's supposed to be like 16 guys, two squadrons, whatever. But, uh, and then I went to Iraq, which was uh, hot. No. But so this mission became declassified. Here, this is really cool. It's kind of a cool story. So in 2009, this mission became declassified. They wrote about it, and I think McCraven actually wrote an article in Silicon Magazine or whatever. But um, during the election period in 2005, the top six Iraqi officials were protected by Navy SEAL platoons that were dressed as contractors. And I was one of those. (laughs) So, and I had this, this unit of guys, you know, just total badasses sorry about swearing but um just i mean i'm so proud of those guys but um so we randomly got this guy check this out all the code names for football teams guess what mine happened to be if you guess packer yes wow good job all here all day you did it you did you did it you're right so it was packers Hmm. and uh this guy's name was Ibrahim Al Jaffrey. He was a family physician who was clearly an Iraqi. He was a Shia. He fled under Saddam, who was a Sunni, lived in Iran for 20 years or whatever, wound up in England. Uh, he had one wife, uh, although Muslims can have four. Um, he had one wife, six kids. Really interesting great guy spoke english fantastically there's a term in arabic and i can't remember right now but it's someone who's memorized the entire quran and he's one of those guys wow i mean that's a big book right but uh so he was a deputy vice president and we went through the election cycle he was a member of the dawa party uh and he became the first democratically elected prime minister of iraq and it's like 5600 year history and I was hanging with this dude every day. Mm. <laughs> and it's just fascinating how these things 
take place. And we were sitting, we went up to visit uh, Jalal Talabani, who was, uh, he's a Kurd, and there's mm-hmm. a Kurdistan. And the, the standards are different there. Although they're Muslims, they're much more westernized. Mm-hmm. And so they have places to go out and eat and everything. You didn't have to wear body armor. You didn't have to carry a rifle. You know, I'm down in the, I'm down in the, the real Iraq mm-hmm. uh, where things are shifty, right? People are trying to kill you all the time. And it's, you know, it's stressful. Yeah. But so me and my lieutenant were like, hey, let's let the dudes go out to a restaurant and eat uh, dinner and just enjoy themselves not human beings for a little bit. So we took the overnight watches for the prime minister. And, uh, well, he was still the deputy vice president. The so this guy comes busting out. His name was Phil Phil. Phil Phil is pepper in Arabic. Mm-hmm. And he, he had a really hot temper and he was the, uh, the doctor's chief of security. I love this guy. I got Phil Phil. He comes busting out. I'm saying it's like three in the morning or something. Mm-hmm. And he goes, Derek, how is the how is the government of the United States structured? I'm like, what? How is the? I'm like, uh, okay. Well, I grabbed a piece of printing paper and went straight back to Schoolhouse Rocks. Not kidding. I'm like, there are three branches of government: There's the judicial, you know, executive branch, and the and the Congress. And these, how they function? They're co-equal. And I'm drawing this map and everything, and it's just like I could have burst out into song from a cartoon. And he's like, thank you. It takes this piece of paper back in with the prime minister. And they're, what they were doing was, at that point, they had realized, because they have a, a democratic parliamentary system, they don't have a constitutional republic like mm-hmm. we do, is they were figuring out how they want, they were about 80% sure at that point that the doctor was going to become the first prime minister. Mm-hmm. And they were trying to figure out how they're going to structure their government. And they went up going with a parliamentary, a British parliamentary system because uh, Iraq used to be a um, colony, essentially, mm-hmm. of England, you know. And so I just thought that was so fascinating <laughs> that you like random third grade cartoon mm-hmm. that I watched, uh, you know, because I never thought about politics ever. Mm-hmm. I never thought I was going to be in politics. It just didn't. It just didn't occur to me. Um, but to have this dude come out and you know, sketch on a piece of printer paper how the our government structures, and then have them go in and, and have that be a real portion of a discussion mm-hmm. for an allied nation's structuring of their government. Not a lot of people have these experiences, uh, but things like that seem to happen to me on a regular basis. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, yeah, so I did that in Iraq, and then um, I went to another uh, naval special warfare unit. Not really you know, the topic of discussion, did mm-hmm. some very um, good work there, came back and became a troop chief. Um, I went to, oh, sorry, I went to Afghanistan before that, mm-hmm. my first tour to Afghanistan. That, that was fascinating. Um, I, I want to, for some reason or other, sometimes I, I or for a few deployments, I, I kind of work by myself in mm-hmm. a different capacity, kind of leave that one there. But, uh, yeah, and so then I went back to Afghanistan as a troop chief, which was fascinating. Uh, another another great group of guys. I, I just, if you think about like gratitude, mm. you know what I mean? If you really think about all the things we have to be grateful for, 
Uh, I just ran for Congress. I don't know if people know that. And no. I lost, right? I lost, but so many positive things happened during that race, man. We So I take my faith very seriously. I was raised a nominal Catholic and I was essentially heathen, honestly. <laughs> but I take my faith very seriously now. No. So does my family. And during the campaign, we found a home church. I hadn't really had a home church like five years since I retired. We lived way up north and mm. just, you know, nothing really clicked with us. So now we have a new home church where I get to go and worship God as I see fit, mm. which is, you know, kind of a thing in America, which has been attacked. Congress shall make no law establishing religion or the free exercise thereof. Mm. It's the first part of the First Amendment, you know. Um, so that I met thousands of people that are just awesome. Um, and I got to see what I think. And I, listen, dude, I've lived and worked on five of the seven continents. Mm-hmm. I've not been to Australia. I did like nine weeks or 10 weeks or whatever in New Zealand. And I haven't been to Antarctica, but I've been to all the rest of them. And I, I don't mean like flew in and stayed at a resort. I mean, I'm living in them. And this, this region, the Cooley region, um, or the driftless region, depending on you know how you want to describe it, mm-hmm. where I live right now, is the most beautiful portion of the entire planet. Wow. And I get to live here. I mean, come on, yeah. right? So we have to take time to really understand that even though there are, th- like, clearly I'd rather have, you know, won this race because I think these people are destroying our country. Mm-hmm. They are in real time. But there's so many positive things that came out of that. And if we don't take time to be grateful for that, man, you're just going to be angry your whole life. I refuse to do that. I don't want anybody listening to this or watching this just to be angry. Right. Just don't do it, man. Find the positive stuff, figure out what went wrong, you know, fix it and, and crack on. It's that simple. You've had, uh, right? absolutely. And the, the gratitude thing is something that resonates with me big time. And it's something I bring up on a, a lot of these shows that I have on, because I think that is uh, in, in, in whatever aspect of, of life, is waking up in the morning and saying, whew, all right, I get another, I get another crack at this, no matter what happened yesterday, you know, and then and to, to globally put it into perspective like you have, having seen the worst of the worst and, and living in the best of the best, being super appreciative of that, the fact that you get to wake up every day uh, in the place that you want to wake up, be able to pray the way you want to pray and, and give thanks the way you want to give thanks. You know, it's like when we talked about 9-11, it's one of those things that people forget. Yeah. Like it, everything is, gets taken for granted. Everything is, uh, it, it, if you can't capture your attention in six seconds or in 256 characters, then it's, you know, it's in one ear and out the other. Just It comes and goes so right. quickly. But to be able to take time on the daily, on, on a daily basis and just say, I'm so I'm so thankful that I am I am here I am free and I get to live another day in this country, which affords yeah. me opportunity to do a bunch of things. And I think when you start to do those those kind of practices and make those a part of your your morning routine, I'm a big morning routine guy. You start to make that a part of your your routine. You start to see the things clearer that are happening that are wrong. Like you're like, I'm so thankful. I'm so blessed. I get to, you know, live in this free country. And then you go, um, I have some questions about why, why, why is the freedom being uh, attacked here? Like I'm, I'm super grateful that we have it. Why, why are we, 
Why? There was this piece of paper they written by they wrote by candlelight with a feather in the dark, and and they came up with this great set of of outlines of how things are make it great, and it feels like some people have forgotten that that exists and they should read it and right. it's the law of the land and I know your um you know your facebook page is a great source of sharing a lot of the information i know you're you're also out supporting candidates that are out there uh on the current uh, on the current cycle which i think is fantastic i do want to i want to jump back one thing on on sure. your navy seal service really quick because uh have a, it's cool a, it's, well, it's it's super badass so let's not <laughs> and, and i have i have become um Super, uh, the, some sort of gravitational pull towards uh, guys like you. Uh, I just listened to a great podcast of Marcus Luttrell, uh, where he really went yep. in depth and talked about his story um, and about yeah. Marky Mark. It was weird. Like things got awkward. I'm like, wait, that's a lot of time on Marky Mark. I know he played you in the movie, but like. Um, well, and Marcus, Marcus Luttrell is three and a half feet taller than Marky Mark. So <laughs> I, know, I know. Marcus is, he is a big dude. Yeah. And Marky Mark, who I, Mark Wahlberg, I, I respect tremendously. Yeah. He did a great and job. Other guys, is one of the best movies ever. But um, yeah, sorry, just had to throw that out there. No, I get it. And, uh, you know, guys like David Goggins and Jocko Willink, you know, all these sure. former Navy SEAL guys who have, have really I come. All of those people. What's that? I know all of those people. Well, you're you're, it's a brotherhood, and that's and that's the thing that they that they all really bring up, is sure. there's obviously a brotherhood of of those who have served, uh, those who have served in combat, and then there's the seals, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's you know it's the frogman thing, it's you know going through buds, it's hell week, it's it's all the things that you have to survive, and and being the group that. That civilians are like, well, it just doesn't make any sense. You know, we just need these savages. I'm like, no, we need the savages. Like, we need the guys that are are without fear, that are willing to go and do the stuff. Because without them, we don't have this. And for some reason, that is a tough correlation for some people to make. Like, no, no, we need the savages. We need those who are super highly trained and can go in and and be in the dirt and, and make the things happen because without that Mm -hmm. element, uh, most of us have not experienced war. And the reason we haven't experienced war is because of those in the military and the seals who carry out these, you know, special operations and do the things, things that obviously there's plenty of stuff that you can't talk about for, for good reason. But there is another element of gratitude. And I have, I have a couple of my, my family members who are, in the military or in the comments, uh, jumping on here, talking about a great conversation. Oh yeah. We have somebody talking about pants. Let's see. 1994 Dixie, New Jersey. No joke on standing pants there either. So they're talking about the starching of their pants. Heather Muller must oh, have yeah, served. Yeah. yeah. People are like, you're joking. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. So much starch, but there is that, 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 that gratitude. And then to have seals come out and tell the stories and, and really talk about that, that the unity within, you know, the brotherhood and well, the you know why that stuff. happens and why that's so compelling is because that's what's missing in our society today. Hmm. People, they want to hear stories of kindred spirits and bonding between human beings. Yeah. That's why that is so fascinating to people because hmm. our society, unfortunately has really become, you know, this splintered group of, of people hmm. where even though we, have common values with people we have so much more in common with each other than we have 
not in common. That's right. Democrats, Republicans, Independents, Libertarians, all that stuff. We have so much more in common, but we have people in office, unfortunately, and in the media and social media and big tech and all that stuff that are driving wedges between us because it sells newspapers, man. And so we look towards groups of people where that doesn't exist. And the reason it doesn't exist uh, in the SEAL teams or in the military, uh, you know, of course, that, I mean, that's a very broad statement. Of course, there's, mm. you know, cliques and all that stuff, but wherever you go. But the reason it doesn't is because the people in the military put something above themselves. It goes yeah. straight back to that mm. humility thing, brother. So when you are able to subject yourself to dominion, which I believe in dominion, hmm. not the voting machine. I, <laughs> so, I was like, I think he's talking about a different God, God dominion. Right. <laughs> That's right. But um, when you subject yourself to something and you, you willingly uh, sacrifice a lot of your constitutional rights, you know, free speech, all stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, let me be super clear. Those military folks that have been speaking out against civilians and trying to be the arbiters of uh, civilian free speech need to be thrown out of the military. Mm. They get out. The military doesn't run the country, Jack. Don't forget that. Mm. And I love the military. And you way overstepped your bounds, everybody, including Kirby, who's the Pentagon spokesman. This guy should be fired. Mm. That's, that is inexcusable behavior. But So that's why people look towards the military is because they understand that there's a group of people that are willing to do things that they're not willing to do or they're incapable of doing, you know, people have disabilities or whatever the heck it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I do. I'm a 100% service-connected disabled veteran. You know what I mean? I, I destroyed my body serving our country, and I do it again right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's why they want to see that. And when you have a bond with people, you truly have a bond with them. Uh, and how do you forge a real bond? Adversity. Yeah. Uh, the the vast majority of the American population, which it, it, I'm eternally grateful for, haven't really faced adversity mm. to the point where, like, I don't know if I'm going to get my legs blown off. I was talking to my son yesterday. Uh, we were driving around together, and I explained these times where I, I drove through a minefield. <laughs> Boston, you know, and the two people in the car with me. So I, I I'll tell you. So I I. I was a joint commission observer, which means that I lived in a house. This is immediately following the Dayton Accords, mm -hmm. where the peace of the Civil War happened, you know, uh, international intervention. My job was to go around and talk to these people and figure out what the heck's going on. And mm -hmm. I'd write a report and they'd read it. And it's called providing a ground truth to the commanders, the, you know, the military term for it. But so this, this guy who was a, he was a Croat, but he was delivering, um, building materials back to these villages so that the Serbs that lived there could rebuild their homes. Because mm. um, so what happened a lot in the, the war is that people would go in and they'd like pull the wires out of the walls. Mm. Um, I mean, they just stripped these houses. Right. So anyway, he was delivering this and people were mad at him because that would, if the Serbs moved back into the communities that they fled, they could shift the vote totals for the municipal elections. I mean, this is, this stuff is really crazy, man. And so they're like, hey, uh, we got to kill you. So they put a tank mine, a tank mine um, on this road that they knew this guy was going to be driving to deliver these um, 
building supplies. And they have, I don't know if you've seen these European trucks, but essentially the driver is sitting right over the, the tire. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. little Mike, a little, okay. Yeah, so he's looking. driving one of those anti-tank mine under the tire, do the math, right? So we're like, oh my gosh, he killed this guy. I, uh, I hopped in the car with a guy named Nikola Pedulo. He's a, a Croatian colonel, lieutenant colonel. And my Navy SEAL buddy, I'm, I'm an E5. Mm-hmm. The SEAL other guy I'm with is an E7. He's a chief. I'm the junior man mm-hmm. in the entire country from soft, like the junior guy right? by far. And uh, so we drive up, like, hey, we'll go, you know, see where this is, check it out, interview the people, see what happened. Because we're trying to maintain peace by providing information to decision makers. So I'm, you know, envisioning we're going to drive out on the tarmac, you know, like pavement, and this truck's going to be right off the road. Yeah, easy day. No, it was like three clicks in on this dirt road. <laughs> like, <laughs> that they just put a mine on, it, you know, it's like, I'm like, this is not okay. So I drive all the way out there, these cats in the car, and I don't get blown up, so I know the road's good, right? And then this, it was, it was tragic. This, the, the truck looked like if you were to shoot an orange with a shotgun. I mean, it was just bad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so we go out there and we do our investigative work, speak to people. Um, at that point, you know, the anyway, so we got that done. Now I got to go back. Mm. And I'm like, I can't drive <laughs> three kilometers backwards on this, you know, twisty right. little dirt road. So I'm like, I got to turn around. And I'm like, going to drive through this field right here it's the only place to do it well it's a minefield <laughs> and i'm like <laughs> so i kid you not these dudes this croatian colonel <laughs> lieutenant colonel and my seal body are like bye they hop out of the truck <laughs> they stand on the road and i'm like what this so <laughs> i back around you know and it took me <laughs> took me a few minutes mm. to realize you know what they did was the right decision 100 mm. percent. yeah that if someone's going to get blown up it should only be one person not three unfortunately i was the one that was going to get blown up but um i don't know why i told you that was just kind of funny story <laughs> the strangest things happen man when you're in the seal teams or in the military i mean we can just do this oh i was, cause I was talking to danny about it mm. that's another thing that's been very uh, awesome about this campaign is our son just got accepted to grad school. Oh, congratulations. Uh, one of them for, yeah, for biblical exegesis. Very smart mm-hmm. young man. Uh, Greek and Hebrew and that sort of thing. But uh, Oh, so that guy, he's awesome. Yeah. The, the SEAL chief, we have a bond that's never going to be broken. We have a story to tell that's eternally funny. I mean, that's it could have turned out really bad. I was going to say, from, it depends on whose perspective. Like, his story is a little bit different. He's like, I'm out. <laughs> You're like, all right. I gotta, yeah. I'm I don't know go if now. you would tell it that way. He'd be like, well, I made a tactical decision to limit the, <laughs> well, yeah, the yeah, casualties. So. You're like, no, he jumped out because you were afraid. I, I um, <laughs> hey, E5, you go do oh. that. You go back out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's part of the story. It's great, man. But you've had yeah. a chance, uh, you know, at, in an illustrious career, 26 years, um, Many of those, uh, you know, overseas in 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 you know, precarious situations. So again, thank mm-hmm. you for that that service to our country. Uh, you You're one hundred percent welcome. Coming out of that, um, you've you've 
you've kind of dove into a lot of different arenas. Um, you've, you've had, you've had like the ultimate life experiences in, in the things that you've accomplished in the military. It ain't over yet, Jack. No, we've, we've only just begun to define ourselves. Uh, I mean, Derek, not sir, Derek. Um, but they, uh, you know, doing some consulting, having kind of a, an independent consulting firm, helping out with fortune 500 companies, uh, diving into acting. How, how does one, uh, make that, take that turn into like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to do some acting. You know, I think that'd be fun in, uh, active hours sure. uh, amongst others. Yeah. Well, here's what happened. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> uh, in 2005, Donald Rumsfeld said, I want 500 more seals secretary of defense because mm -hmm. we were incredibly effective on the battlefield just flat out just doing america's bidding right mm -hmm. so he's like i want 500 more of you guys and all the officers are like yes sir crank that up for you right away you know because <laughs> <laughs> that's what they do mm -hmm. and uh that's why you can never call me sir i'm just kidding i i have a tremendous amount of navy seal officer friends that are just some of the finest human beings you're ever gonna meet but i just am obligated by law to make fun of them so they're like yes sir we're gonna do it. and uh so the following year the net gain of seals after combat losses you know guys just getting on the military retiring all that stuff was one like hmm. one so you're 499 out of 500 short for the secretary of defense super awkward conversations ensued hmm. well um this guy named duncan smith who is one of my best friends. Mm. He just, he's just a great dude. He's a captain. He retired as a Navy SEAL captain, very handsome guy. And he, he'd been in the entertainment industry doing stuff because he was a reservist for a while or whatever, you know, but uh, he was like, Hey, wait a minute. Remember when they made Top Gun and everybody joined the Navy yep. failed to mention, you have to have a college degree to be a pilot, <laughs> but you know, they, they ooh, did. They skipped the over that. I was part of that. I was part of that. I'm like, Wait, what? Yeah. Like, I can just go and be a pilot? Read the fine print. <laughs> Unlike I did. Right? <laughs> Prime so example. They're, like, they're like, hey, let's let's make a movie. Hmm. Let's make a movie. And they're like, okay. Uh, you know, SEALs are nonlinear thinkers. They're like, that's a great idea. So they did. Hmm. They solicited uh, a bunch of production companies and studios and whatever for scripts. They wound up choosing the bandito brothers which is defunct now unfortunately at this point but all those people are still my friends um and they said hey you know we're gonna do this so i'm a troop chief at the time this is right before i went to afghanistan for the second time mm -hmm. and uh they came out to our desert training facility you know these hollywood guys and duncan shows up and uh i have I think at that time I had like 53 or 56 seals out at this, you know, remote location. These people planned an entire day, drive out from LA and then spend the day interviewing people who want to be in this movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause everybody wants to be in movies. So I went in to the guys and say, Hey, look, you know, there's a book called the finishing school written mm -hmm. by uh, Dick couch. I I'm a fictional character in that book. And I did not want to do that interview. Mm -hmm. I said, I, I was an E six at the time. And my chief came in and said, there's this guy, he's going to interview people and you're going to interview him because the Admiral wants you to be interviewed. And I kind of want to do it. He goes, maybe you didn't hear what I said. The Admiral, right. So my name is uh, Nick Kunkel, I think, in that hmm. book. So uh, having that experience, um, 
I was like, no, no person within my sphere of influence is going to be forced to do anything they want or they don't want to mm -hmm. not going to happen on my watch. No, fire me or whatever. So I told Duncan, I'm like, Hey, look, dude, I'm going to go talk to all the bros right now. And if they don't want to do this, you're not going to say anything to him. And he's like, Roger that he's a very, he is a very good man. Mm -hmm. Duncan Smith, he, he was under orders to get this stuff done, but he, he understands what the heck is going on. Mm -hmm. So I go in there. I go, hey, look, man, guys, if you want to do some of the work that I did um, previously, you may want to really think about this. If you want to go to, you know, different commands and whatnot, you know, this is a fully sanctioned Naval Special Warfare command effort. So it's good to go through the Navy. But if you want to do some other, you know, sensitive stuff, you may want to think about it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay. So they show him this movie. And this is cool because Hollywood goes, like, this is so cool. Like mini guns, you know, boats and all this, everything blowing up things. They're like, this is rad. Yes. You know, because they say rad in California, right? Hmm. Well, you know what? These guys are literally preventing us from going out to train to do what they're showing us a movie that they think is so cool. <laughs> like, because we've got to sit here and watch a movie about what we're trying to go do. Right. You know, right. So no one volunteered. Mm. Zero. Just none. Out of 56. And zero. zero. No. So we got like four hours to lunch. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and we have a training regime. Everyone goes out to training. I'm sitting there with my uh, task unit commander and these guys. And we just, you know, Duncan's in there. And we just started talking what we're doing right now. Mm. You know what I mean? On an unclassified level. Just talk, 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 talk. And then they pack up, they go back to Hollywood or whatever. We finish our training five weeks later, something like that. And I get a call from a guy named Tom Brown, who unfortunately just died. He's a mm -hmm. retired uh, admiral at that time. He was a captain. He's a commodore. Very good man, mm -hmm. friend of mine. Uh, he just last month, April, he died. I don't know. A lot of friends have died. But... So uh, he calls me over. And it's not a good thing when the guy who's in charge of the entire coast of the SEAL teams calls you over to his office, mm. you know what I mean, to talk to you personally. Now, I did a very a very specialized mission set in the Horn of Africa, so I had a much more personal relationship with this guy than you normally do between mm. E8 and 06. But so, we, I mean, we knew each other, you know, because I reported almost directly. It was a weird thing. But anyway, so I knew the guy, right? Mm. Calls me over. He's like, "Hey, Vano, uh, those Bandito guys. You know, they want you to be in a movie. They want you to do it." And I was like, "Hey, Commodore, you can't order me to be in a movie." <laughs> He's like, "Hey, Vano, you're right. I can't." I'm like, "Okay, well, thanks for the talk." <laughs> He's like, "Oh, <laughs> this is where this guy was." He goes, "Oh, why don't you go home and uh, ask Sarah Jane about it?" And I was like, "Okay." <laughs> sure you know, it's, it's a weird conversation but so i go home and i'm having dinner and i'm like hey honey remember um those guys that came out from hollywood they want me to be in that movie and she was like well, what'd you tell them i said no i'm not being a movie i'm not an actor i'm a seal mm -hmm. not happening she's like oh okay well maybe if you did that movie your kids would know why you spent so many years away from home oof that, my friend, is how your wife tells you to be in a movie. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, bam, from the top rope. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I tell you what. 
whew, I'm punching above my weight when it comes to who I married. That <laughs> is, she's amazing. But yeah, so you know, uh, some of the good things that came out of the movie is number one, it was 100% effective mm. for recruiting. Totally. It takes over a year to get a slot to even try to go to Bud's now. Yep. And remember my origin story. They're like, <laughs> it's oh, a little different. Yeah, you're okay. There's no way I would ever get accepted <laughs> to even try to go to training now, right? So that was good. Um, another thing was is that uh, I personally, and I know a lot of SEALs hated that, and I, and I get it. Okay, mm -hmm. roger that, whatever. You know, have your opinion. But we get to talk about our jobs to our families now because mm -hmm. we never discussed anything about being a seal with my wife or my kids my my wife was the ombudsman for two different seal teams that's the informal formally informal position that is the liaison between the commanding officer and the spouses mm. at a command and we still never talked about work ever wow. um so because you just you know you don't do that clearly we never discussed anything classified but even just like what are you doing for like what do you do what mm. is what does it look like to dive? What does it look like to parachute? You know, shooting guns. What type of external stressors are applied to you during combat missions? How does mission planning cycle? You know, all that stuff you never talk about. So that was beneficial. So a lot of these, you know, seals, they're like, oh, why'd you do that? Guarantee you they got a copy act now. <laughs> they got the they got the Blu-ray. They got the DVD. Mm -hmm. They got it all. They do. <laughs> yeah. So that led to you know, that was an that was done on duty. I mean, we were on orders to do that, that we didn't get paid for that. And people are like, oh, you're a millionaire. That was the most successful movie. It was the number one movie in America. We didn't make any money at all. The people in the movie. Right. The production company made 56 or $58 million. But, and I'd do it again right. because it helped get people into the SEAL teams and we need SEALs. And we got it. We, I swear we have to think globally and I don't mean a globalist because I'm not a globalist, but I mean, mm -hmm. we need to think external to ourselves. And what's the purpose? This organization that I absolutely love, Naval Special Warfare, I would, you know, do anything to help that organization. That's, yeah. And it, yeah. It, it, so it, then, yeah, then I led to two other movies that I made. Yeah. <laughs> which is just fun. I decided to write a book. Yeah. I was going to talk about the book. Okay. Let's talk about it. The, uh, um, I love the title. I love I love the title. Um, <laughs> a Book of Man, A Navy SEAL's Guide to the Lost Art of Manhood by Derek Van Orden. Yeah. That's uh yeah. that's powerful stuff, man. That's that's opening with that you know your wife was off the top rope. She uh, she was off the top rope with a chair. <laughs> like bam, she came out. This is off the top rope. That's coming out swinging. I love it. Yeah, well uh, it the idea for this book occurred to me in a place called Peachy Dungy, Chile. Mm. Um, and it's Chile. It's not Chile. They, oh, it's Chile. Like, no, it's Chile because it was cold. Okay. It was <laughs> cold. And we had uh, an afternoon off. We were training with, uh, gosh, are those guys the Buzos Tacticos? Mm. And um, so we packed up some like bread and wine and things in our rucksacks because they have fantastic wine in Chile mm. or Chile. And we, we hike up this mountain right off the ocean and uh, we go through the cloud line and I was the intelligence rep along with the, along with being a, the medical rep or rep for, I don't know how many platoons, a lot. So I had this cameras, you know, they weren't digital. They were all film. 
So I go off to take pictures of stuff and where I'm going to, and the guys are sitting there, it's cold, you know, and I'm like, well, start a fire for Pete's sakes, you know, mm. busted. So I go off to take pictures. I come back 20 minutes, half an hour later, wherever it is. There's no fire and the guys are all standing there <laughs> and they're doing the, you know, when a kid does something they're not supposed to do, they'll kind of lick their feet and shuffle mm-hmm. their feet. And I'm like, holy beans, you dudes don't know how to start a fire. <laughs> Five active duty Navy SEALs didn't know how to start a fire in damp conditions. Mm. And, but it didn't occur to me, you know what? They're all city kids. Mm. You know, they're just older city kids. So I grew up with nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. like, here, my biggest concern growing up during the summer was scratching up enough change to buy enough BBs to go wander around mm. in the woods. I mean, that was that was right. like my, my major concern. So I knew how to do all this stuff, and they didn't. And so I was like, holy wow, look at this! How has our society changed and the culture changed since the time of our grandfathers or even mm. me at this point? And so it made me want to write this book. And there's a lot of practical skills in there. There's philosophical musings about the difference between uh, being a, a man and a male. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big difference. Uh, interestingly, a portion of that book was uh, completely misinterpreted on purpose by the person I ran against and complicit media to try to make me look like I was a sexual harasser person. Mm-hmm. Which, which one of the things that I learned about politics is that there are some incredibly there's there's some people that are unscrupulous yeah. and they're in leadership and I'll, I'll call the guy out his name is ron kind mm-hmm. and he intentionally abused this book and i was disgusted by it uh the journal sentinel under molly beck wanted writing a story which was actually a fairly well-balanced story but then the lacrosse division picked it up and butchered it removed exculpatory stuff it's just horrible yeah. and that's why people don't want to get in politics because i mean anyway so uh, yeah, and part of the my favorite part of the book. I'm glad I got that off my chest. I, 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 I feel uh, like you feel fa- better. Well, I mean, look, man, just yeah. why do people do that? I mean, either you have mm. a better idea for how the nation should work and how you want it to be shaped for mm. your children and for your grandchildren, or you don't. And right. when you don't have anything to offer intellectually or policy wise by definition the only thing you can do is take away mm. and that's what i found from this other side mm-hmm. so you've got nothing to offer the only thing you can do is take away and that's what right. you know Ron kind of did for however long anyway so the back part of the book is called campfire stories mm. and that is my favorite part uh and the, the portions of the book are written by people that taught me how to do stuff because the function of humility is you know finding people we talked about this earlier right. find people that know how to do stuff that you don't know how to do ask them how to do it, and then take their advice like for instance my brother kurt taught me how not the same kurt that wanted to be a marine uh right. taught me how to change a tire mm-hmm. so i asked my brother to write a section about how to change a tire mm-hmm. guy a friend of mine worked for a knife company uh, how do you sharpen a knife you know so seeking out people because finding um finding folks that you can have a core group of people that you can rely on as advisors that you trust mm-hmm. is very important and we, uh, again we're, we've kind of gotten away from that as a society anyway so uh this back part like one of them was written by a friend of mine named matt which is cool we just had like a best friend argument today like full on <laughs> you know which i love but he writes a part that's like okay if you could right now go back in time mm. 
understanding that you're going to have children and you're going to have male children, how would that change? Excuse me. How would that change your behavior patterns, understanding Mm. that your children at one point are going to understand how you acted? Mm. It's an incredible thought experiment. Um, This guy named Hank Paul, who was Stephen Paul is a very good friend of mine. They're uh, producers on Hollywood. And he produced uh, the movie I did with John Boyd, but uh, he was a young guy married to Dorothy. Uh, she just died a couple of years ago, unfortunately, but he got drafted to go during Korea. And he's like, well, you know what? Uh, I didn't want to go to war. I just got married, brought New York, and but my country needed me. Mm-hmm. So he went off to war. But here's what's interesting. So they had like this line. It's really weird with this camera. Mm-hmm. They had a line like this line went to Korea and this line went somewhere else. And he was in the somewhere else line. So you know what his job was in the army? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you because you're never going to guess this. He was one of the guys where they they detonated the nuclear bombs and they had the soldiers in the trenches that got up and walked into the blast. That was his job in the army. <laughs> you're like what <laughs> but here's what's cool about man he did his time mm. got out of the army didn't gripe mm. didn't do this didn't sue the thing you know didn't have this victim complex of mm. oh woe is me and look what the nation did to me but he did his job for the country like a man mm. or like a woman right. don't th- i mean these things apply a- across the gender spectrum you know what i mean and by spectrum i mean man or woman right. uh so that was fascinating. And then um, John Voigt, who is a total buddy of mine, he yeah. is so awesome. Yeah. He's one of the best guys you ever going to meet. He writes a part where uh, he explains how he got duped in the 60s. So, he, I mean, he was a really big deal back then. He's an Oscar winner, mm-hmm. you know, when he's a younger man. And still, he's been in like 8 billion movies. Right. Yep. One of those awesome guys you ever going to meet. But so the left was able to convince everybody that if we just left Vietnam, everything's going to be fine because America is the root of all evil. And this communist group of people's it's they're okay. Mm. Things are going to be fine. And that's what they thought. You know, Jane Fonda, that idiot went over and sat on an aircraft gun. And I mean, come on. So then in 1975 with the final removal, we really stopped combat operations. I think 73 and then the last, you know, in 75 is when the embassy was evacuated. North Vietnamese roll in. And they kill a gazillion South Vietnamese people. Mm. They slaughter them. And John was like, what the heck happened? Mm. Uh, And he realized at that point that he had fallen for this narrative that America is bad. Mm. And so he spent the rest of his life trying to make up for that. And he was in the army too. Did you know this? He's a national guard guy. Oh, did not know that. Yeah. How about that? So, right, he's like, I, I was the worst soldier. Ever. <laughs> like, I believe you. I take you <laughs> at your word. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's just a, a neat part. Oh, another, um, Dave Bell is another friend of mine and he's, he's a super liberal. He lives out in Oregon, but he's still a friend of mine. Cause I'm an American. Mm-hmm. You know, we got, we have to, we have to have friendships with people who disagree with us politically mm-hmm. or we're lost, you know, the Republic will be lost, but he writes his part, which is cool because he was never in the military, but this is exactly how seals think is that we don't gamble, no gambling. Mm-hmm. We take calculated risks. So, there's a significant difference between gambling and a calculated risk. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. Gambling is like, eh, you know, let's do it. Right. Um, you know, rolling dice. Well, a calculated risk is taking in all the factors that you can possibly have access to and then gleaning from them ways that you can potentially reduce the risk in order to accomplish whatever you're trying to do, a mission for sake. And then understanding that there are things that are external to your control that could mm-hmm. fairly to your death or the death of your friends and then doing it anyway because the higher purpose of the mission is more important than your personal safety or your physical well-being that's the difference between gambling calculated risk and this guy intuitively knew that he's been a friend of mine forever he intuitively knew that as a civilian which i thought was pretty cool so anyway there you go that was the book Mm -hmm. and it was all the rage (laughs) <laughs> Still all the rage. It's just, I spend the vast majority of the book, honestly. Do, do not buy that book if you're looking for night fighting Navy SEAL stores at all. Right. They're not in there. It's mostly making fun of myself. <laughs> well, in that case, is it available on Amazon? Because I'd like a copy. Well, you know what? It is, but those are all resales. So that book sold out. It did 30,000 copies. Like, boom, gone. Wow. And uh, we're going to be working on a second edition coming up here in April. Uh, so wait for that one. Oh wait! But yeah. you'll, it's you know what? It's just it's an irreverent look at, at the world from mm-hmm. my perspective of what it is, with some very good practical skills that are, are missing. I'm gonna I'm gonna email yeah. Mary Pat and see if she's got a copy under a dust pile somewhere. It's <laughs> she, building she up. Might. She might. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna weasel in. I'm gonna weasel in on that. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about uh, December 18th. Uh, it's uh, it, it's in bold print uh, on your website uh, as, as a day that changed everything. And a lot, obviously a lot of the stuff we've yeah. talked about today is, um, yeah. is about your service to the country and, and about, you know, the moves in life that you made uh, after that. And even mentioning during the course of this interview that like politics wasn't a thing that ever really crossed your mind. Uh, writing down schoolhouse rock for, uh, you know, for, to help form the Iraqi, uh, you know, <laughs> government or give them some options. Like, here's an idea. Here's what we have going on, singing some songs. Uh, you know, but that not being on your radar, and then this day happens, and all of a sudden, you know, there's there's a there's a change in uh, in your direction. Tell me about that day and and, and how it led to uh, to your to your run. Right. Um, well, we moved to the third congressional district, mm-hmm. meaning Hatter City, because it was closer to the airport in Minneapolis. We mm-hmm. lived up in Butterno, which is a wonderful community in Ashland County. Um, but it's very difficult for our children and grandchildren to visit mm-hmm. because it's a four hour drive from Minneapolis or an hour and 45 minutes from Rhinelander. So we moved down to be closer to the airport because we want to see our family. Mm-hmm. And so that cha- I was in Sean Duffy's uh, district, he's a Republican guy, mm-hmm. great dude. And then oh, we get down and there's this guy named Ron Kine. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. He's a Democrat or whatever. Okay. So this whole impeachment buffoonery was going on which it was no other better way to describe that foolishness mm. unconstitutional foolishness and so i write this guy a letter and i'm like hey ron kind how are you going to vote for impeachment it's fairly important to me he came back to the district he was telling people i won't do that and telling just everybody you know oh, this, i don't think this is the deal he was the last person out of 535 members of congress to make his vote public when he was forced to Mm. on the floor of the House of Representatives. He did that because he knew that his vote was going to be very unpopular in this district. Well, he didn't write me back, mm. and I got steamed, man. And then he cast that vote, and I'm like, 
that's it. I sent a note to one of Sean Duffy's coordinators named Jim, a little email, or excuse me, a text message. I knew, I got to know them because when they came up north for his, you know, listing sessions or as guys call them, they would come by Butternut and stop. And we owned the Butternut Cafe at the time. And they would get food from us. So, I, you know, it's this kind of strange connection. But so I write Jim and I'm like, hey, man, who are you running against this guy? Ron Kine. And he wrote me back, you. And I was like, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Me? I'm like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I went, ha, 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 ha. You know, a text message. Well, when someone doesn't write back, when you go, ha, 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 in a text message, they're not joking. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, you know what? I talked to Sarah Jane about it. We prayed about it. And I was like, yeah. I, during that, you know, the intervening years between my retirement, I, you know, I sort of forgot I was a guy that solves problems. Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Problem identification, work on solution, apply solution, find new problem, fix it. Hmm. Problems wrong kind. And I started looking into this cat and I used to find people, you know, in caves in Pakistan. That's really hard. It's yeah. really, really hard to find terrorists. It's not hard to find stuff on politicians because they have to file things by law mm-hmm. and they make statements and all this stuff. And the more I got into looking into Ron Kind, the more I realized he wasn't part of the problem in Washington, D.C. He was the problem. Mm-hmm. The atypical or the typical stereotype career politician who's in politics for his own personal political power and financial benefit Hmm. and i was like i'm done with this man i am done so you know i was fortunate enough to be able to assemble a very good team um really everybody no one paid attention to the race they're like you know who's this high school dropout i I didn't get my (laughs) undergraduate degree till i was 44 yeah by the way it's a couple years later yeah it's fine yeah you know what I got it because our youngest daughter was griping about how difficult it was to be in college. And I was like, look, I'm going to finish my degree because mm-hmm. I'd gotten credits here and there in the Navy. I'm going to finish my degree as an active duty Navy SEAL to get over to maneuver mm-hmm. at all. She has an art degree now. That. Um, right. So, you know, people are looking at me like, you know, who's this Navy SEAL guy? Um, he has no chance of beating this. 24-year Democrat incumbent with $3.1 million in his campaign war chest. Mm. I had zero money. And the only person in the district that knew my name was my wife. Mm. Not a joke, right? Seriously. Yeah. They're like, this guy, <laughs> this guy's not doing anything. Well, guess what? You you form a high-performance team, you'd win. Yeah. So we got uh gosh, it's like just under eleven thousand votes or whatever shy of beating this cat. Um which, you know, made some real waves mm-hmm. um, around the state and around D.C. And I would encourage, you mentioned this earlier, that, you know, I've been going around recruiting candidates for school boards, for county boards, for town boards, for all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you had Kyle on here. You know, he's a buddy of mine. Um, we got to do this. We have to make sure that our nation, it, it is the... It's the minimum requirement of a citizen of the United States of America to make sure that their children, or if they don't have kids, that their neighbor's kids, mm-hmm. at a minimum, have the same amount of ability to choose that they did. Mm-hmm. That's your minimum requirement as a citizen of the United States. And I just made that up. 
you know, a couple of years ago or whenever. I mean, that, but that's really, if you, you distill things down, right. that's really it. Um, and we're not doing that right now. We're not, we have abdicated our responsibility as citizens collectively to do that. And what I find fascinating is that the reason that you look at a lot of these local offices, why they're controlled by leftists, progressives, you know, that's a foolish term where, where you're progressing to, right. you're not, um, is because Republicans, generally speaking, libertarians, certainly, we don't want government in our life. Mm-hmm. We don't want the government telling us what to do. Right. We don't want to have to, you know, adhere to all these, these edicts. Uh, so we, we don't participate in it at all. And Democrats, for some odd reason, you know, it's their lifelong aspiration to do this, mm. to be able to, you know, set public policy goals, which are essentially telling people how to live their lives. Mm. So they participate. And we don't. Every four years, we were all like, we're going to vote for, you know, insert president name. That's what Republicans do. But I'm going to tell you. It's, it's really hard <laughs> it's on the phone. Mine's over here. My monitor's over here. It's yeah, fine. I know. I was like, you. I'm going to tell you guys this. And it's counterintuitive. Mm. If you do not want the government in your business, you have got to get in the business of government. Mm. So by by withdrawing or thinking we're withdrawing from government, we're actually allowing people to get into government that want to control our lives. You think about that, man. All the stuff that's taking place now, hey, you know what? Joe Biden's not going to fix a road in front of my house. You know who mm-hmm. is? My county supervisors. Mm-hmm. That's who's going to do it. You know who's going to raise my property tax? Not Joe Biden. That's a state issue. Mm-hmm. So we have to be involved as, as much as we don't want to. If we want to make sure that our children, again, have at a minimum the ability to choose the same that we did, we got to do it. Where you're abdicating your responsibility. And here's something else. Here's the harsh senior chief message. I've had so many people, you know, say this went bad in 2020 and the election integrity and blah, 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 all this stuff, right? Totally valid, mm. completely justifiable. But I'm over it. I'm over it. I don't want to hear anybody griping anymore unless I see your feet moving. Right. You know what I mean? You got, we, we, We've gone through the five stages of death here, essentially, you know, and we have to get to acceptance and understand that what the left is trying to do is to keep us focused on the 2020 election mm-hmm. so we don't look ahead. There's an election, a statewide election, April 6th. Mm-hmm. People are aware of this. You know, Kyle's up for election. We've got uh, Judge Gill that's up for election. Uh, Deb Kerr's up for election. This is happening April 6th, and they're trying to keep us focused on on uh, November 3rd yeah. of 2020. So that once again, we blow off these these things. So Deb is running for the uh, Department of, uh, gosh, what is it called? DPI, Department of Public Instruction. Right? It's essentially the person that runs all the schools. Mm-hmm. Well, we have children. And think about this. Just think about this for a second. We have children and young adults graduating from high school. They can't read or write. They can't read or write, but they can, they can, from rote memory, tell you 150 reasons why America is the root of all evil. Hmm. They can. Um, they're not sure if they are the right gender. Hmm. Like, 
you know, to a person. They're like, I'm not really sure what's going on here, but they can't do math. How are you going to succeed in 2021 without these skills? These STEM skills are incredibly important. Well, guess what, man? That ain't Joe Biden. Right. That's your school board. And that's the Department of Public Instruction here in the state of Wisconsin. So I, I tell people, you lead where you're at. Hmm. Wherever you are, you're leading. So we got more, President Trump got more votes in uh, the third district in 2020 than he did in 2016. Hmm. The only congressional district in the nation in a state that he, he lost happened here. So you're, guess what? Your votes count. Right. Your work counts. It does. Don't worry about what's going on in Madison. Don't worry it's going around in the state and people get all you know distracted by these things. Lead where you're at. Get up off your hoopty. Make some phone calls for candidates. Donate money for them. I was just knocking doors up in Eau Claire yep. for local candidates. It's a three and a half hour drive, you know? And I don't care because America's worth the work. And if you're not willing to put in the work, I don't want to hear you cry. No. I don't. But I, I'm encouraging. I'm, I want you to know that I'm standing with you. I'm not going anywhere. I will stand with you. I will stand up for voter integrity. I will stand up for your rights, your constitutional rights. I've done it my entire adult life. Mm. I'm not going anywhere. And there is hope because when we apply ourselves, we win. Now we know what these other folks, the, the depths that they're willing to to um, bend to. Mm. Like that stuff with, with Ron Kanye in that campaign, right. I was shocked that there are people that would just flat out lie. I mean, I'll tell you, when I was growing up and when I was in the SEAL teams, that did not fly. Right. Um, it just didn't because we were operating under a different set of standards. Um, but I want people to know uh, it's going to, if we are willing collectively to put in the work, and I mean work, mm -hmm. it's going to be okay. It is. I'm an eternal optimist. I have every single reason from my upbringing, you know, dirt poor, single mom, abject poverty, all that stuff through all the weird things that happened to me in my life. I have every single reason to be pessimistic. Every single reason. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm in pain every day because I broke my back, you know, all this stuff, right? I have every reason, but I'm not because I choose to not be glum. I choose to look at what is good. I choose to do what is right. I choose my country over myself. And when you do that, it really makes a difference. And I'm just, I want people, I want them to be encouraged. And, but I also want them to know, you know, there's a price for that encouragement and that's your work. Right. Yeah. It's just, it's that simple. I mean, I am so dumb that I can see things clearly because <laughs> I don't, they don't get all convoluted with these highfalutin ideas, you know? Right. Yeah. It's that simple, man. And I think, I think hitting the nail on the head is, is, is that it, it starts at such a level of school board, city council, uh, all, all the things that for the most part, people just kind of, just kind of breeze over. They, like you, you said, they wait for the, in four years, we'll Re find the guy. Republicans. Yeah. Republicans. Republicans wait. do. Right. And that's why Not we Democrats. end up, that's why we end up, you know, here in, uh, well, Eau Claire County and then in Chippewa County. I mean, Chippewa County is a little different, but, you know, having yeah. Kyle on and saying like, you know, I was out in front of the courthouse with him, you know, protesting the mask mandate 
and, and he spoke very eloquently and and we kind of got to talking afterwards and he's like there's the voices that we have out here that are calling in because it was all virtual that are calling in and, and trying to be part of this you know the city council meeting and this board meeting there's nobody in there that's fighting for the voices that are out here they're all sitting right. at, a, at a zoom desk somewhere on a, on a screen like this nobody is in there not even one person that is the argumentative of the other other point that is going to say hey uh what this person said or what this business owner said needs to you know be taken into consideration and that's where we kind of got to talking about his candidacy for uh for city council and and we got him on the show and it's like it, it was a realization for me like it, it starts here and you have right. to be involved and it can't just be uh yeah you know what happens happens like you mentioned you can't put in work. america man you can't you got you got to put you got to put boots on the ground and you got to put the work in it's 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 that way with everything if you if you don't aren't happy with you know how you feel in the morning like uh, or how you eat or how you you know your weight you know, there's there's things that you can do but you have to put in the work if you have a small business and you want it to grow like you have to put in the work if you want to have some control or have the people have a voice for you you have to put in work the work yeah i love it that's simple Jer- I mean, it's totally yeah it's i don't i don't know how to explain it it is it's it's, it's a simple process that. it's so simple just put in the work it's the axons razor sort of thing the most likely mm. answer is the answer <laughs> yeah. oh man uh, Derek Van cool. Orden, hey man, thank you so much for the time and the and the great stories and yeah. the great insight, man. I would love to have you back. You and I could probably go on for hours because I mean, we didn't even start to talk about some of the the policies that are going on right now. There was a big, actually, a, a big one that happened today in the state of Wisconsin, which was the uh, the repeal of the emergency orders and the mask mandate and Evers overstepping his grounds. We could go on for days for that. So I'd love to have you back on sometime and we can talk uh, sure. current issues and stuff. And, and maybe we'll try to do around the election so we can help uh, help spread the word on that as well. But thank you so much for everything, my yeah. friend. Hey, you're absolutely welcome. And let's let's do this again before April 6th. Absolutely. I will get a hold of Mary Pat. Um, we'll, set, we'll put it on the calendar. Yeah. Because that, I'm telling you, man, that's it. This guy, I, I didn't talk, I'm going to do this one second. I'm going to, we have 15 seconds, it looks like. Uh, Judge Gill. Judge Gill is running for uh, the Court of Appeals. Mm-hmm. I talked to that guy several times. And if you are familiar with the dude named Anton Scalia, mm-hmm. who was a Supreme Court justice, yes. who's uh, a person that reads the Constitution or the law and takes it for what it says. Not what they want it to say, not what they think it should say, not how it would apply, you know, in this five seconds of time, by you know, a year later, he reads it for what it is. He's in a, he's a brilliant jurist mm. and he's a guy that we need to get on the court. So you're going to right now get a absentee in-person ballot, or you're going to go on April 6th, you're going to vote for uh, judge Gill. Mm-hmm. And Deb Kerr, Kyle uh, Woodman up there. We got a whole slew of people. Uh, Karen's running for school board and all these people. But let's. It would be neat to kind of run through a roster of folks. Yeah, we can do it like a fantasy football team. Or something. <laughs> I, I don't. Dun, 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 dun. And next up on the board, we have. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Derek Van Orden, yeah. thank you Good. so much. Uh, follow him on Facebook, Derek Van Orden. Just search for him and, and follow also on Instagram. I appreciate your time, sir. Take care of yourself. My best to the family. We'll get you back on here soon, man. Right on. Thanks. Awesome. Have a wonderful night. Take, Take care, care very much. Derek Van Orden, Vano, if you will. 
Fantastic conversation. Lots of great insight. Thank you all for being a bunch of comments coming through, but my man was, uh, was letting it fly and I was, uh, just enjoying every minute of it. I hope you did too. 